Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. In the midst of increased economic uncertainty and central banks becoming more cautious, we talk about how best to strike a balance between reacting to market moves on news events and keeping to a longer term strategic investment plan. With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Maya Welford, behavioural finance expert, Francis Adai, senior investment strategist, and Jean-Paul Yeagers, head of asset allocation. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. Recent events in the markets are still giving investors lots to think about. Rather than just talk about the latest news, but don't worry, we will still cover this. Today, we're going to explore how to strike the right balance between short-term views and confidence versus strategic investing. To help me unpack this a little bit more, I'm joined today by Francis, the Senior Investment Strategist, Jean-Paul, our Head of Asset Allocation, and Maya, our Behavioural Expert. So starting off with the recent volatilities in markets, Francis, what's the latest here? Sure. Thanks, Sarah. So, um, yeah, it's fair to say that in the last few weeks, markets have been filled with a lot of significant events. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details. Because we would be here all day. Yes. And we already have a Word on the Streets podcast out addressing the specific banking crisis. But depending on your views, you know, you might think that the worst of the storm is now behind us. Or you might also think that this was just the beginning and there's a lot more to come. But if we look at this week in market specifically, there's there's been a shift in narrative. So from last week, investors are trying to assess what are the ramifications of this mini banking crisis, i.e. How, how much can it affect the real economy in the US? We've seen a rise in credit spreads. We're likely to see a reduction in banking activity, specifically the small businesses. So the question is now, how much will that lend to a restriction in lending? How much will lending standards be tightened? So how restrictive will lending become over the near term? That's probably one of the few things that investors have been concerned with this week. Um, Looking at price action more particularly, so the banking sector has recovered somewhat this week. Most of the volatility this week has been in government bond markets. Again, no surprises there. Since last week, there's been a lot of swings. Um, Most of it is driven by expectation of um, loose monetary policy or looser monetary policy in the US. But the broad-based US equities, have they actually flat. There's no large weakness except for the banking sector. Fast forward to mid last week where the ECB was the first central bank to continue with the hikes. So prior to the ECB meeting, there was chatter of potentially not seeing any interest rate hikes given what had happened in the banking sectors, Credit Suisse, UBS, etc. But the ECB did continue and their justification was simply that the inflation fight is still ongoing and given that they deemed the global as well as the European banking system to be fairly stable and resilient, there was no point of deviating from the path of um, interest rate tax. Today, we've seen something similar as well. The Bank of England came out not long ago, actually just before I came to record this. They've raised interest rates by 25 basis points. The reasons are quite similar. But if there were any doubts, I think the big surprise in UK inflation we saw would have probably nudged the voting members to continue, although I did expect them to continue anyway. I wish I'd been able to ask you that before the the change, but well done. We believe you. Yeah, so we've seen that. And lastly, and definitely not least importantly, yesterday evening we had the US Fed, so the Federal Reserve had their FOMC meeting, their monetary policy equivalent meeting. 
And they also increased interest rates by 25 basis points, as was expected. The reasons, again, were very, very similar as those we heard from the ECB and the Bank of England. Okay, given the focus in the past two years on inflation and central banks increasing interest rates, for us, I'm going to ask you the hard question now. Is the picture changing? That's a very hard question. Are you going to say yes or no? <laughs> What's certain is that inflation has come down from its highs from last year, so substantially come down globally. What's also very certain is that central banks are very close to ending their interest rate hiking regimes. They're much closer than they were three to six months ago. Now, beyond this assessment, the outlook is a lot more uncertain. To give you an example, in January, between January and February, global economic data came in much stronger than initially feared. A case in point is the UK. The Office of Budgetary Responsibility has now said they don't expect a recession in the UK. We've seen similar events in Europe as well as the US. So growth seemed a lot better than initially feared. Fast forward to now, being in the midst or just after this banking crisis, there aren't any concrete signs to show that this growth picture has changed. It's interesting. So with all that short-term drama, actually things are playing out as we expected anyway. Yeah, more or less. More or less. Okay, we'll leave it there. So we've got some time now because I want to, JP, I want to move to you. So the tactical asset allocation, so how portfolios are tilted in and out of our asset classes, allows us to adapt to shorter term investment prospects in these more interesting times. But would you say it's important to zoom out and assess the strategic asset allocation as well. Hello, Sarah, and hello, everyone. Uh, yes, definitely. And it's it's very interesting, actually, to, to see that very often we get tempted to look at short-term events. So we read the news, we hear the news, but it's actually unrealistic to be ahead of those news flows in real time consistently over time. So very often the more tricky bit and the more challenging bit is try to zoom out of all those news flow and actually think on a more higher level, how would you invest over the longer term and actually reap those risk premia you get as you are rewarded as an investor in those asset classes and how do you combine that over time you actually see over longer periods of time that your strategic asset allocation is one of the most important decisions you make when investing for the long term and in that sense yeah at the core of our philosophy is to spread your risk and try to combine different assets and as you say try to zoom out a little bit of the day-to-day -day news Okay, so then how do you assess whether something is relevant for the short term with our tactical asset allocation or more relevant for the long term with our strategic asset allocation? Yeah, that's a great question because very often in advance we don't know that. So what we try <laughs> to do here at Barclays is we try to focus the two elements quite separately, I would say. So if we have a view that a development will happen in markets, it not necessarily make, uh, means we're going to update a complete strategic asset allocation. So for example, that will then be picked up in the tactical asset allocation. A good example here is the pandemic. So during the pandemic, we saw a lot of asset prices decline double digits. And actually that's where the moment where we added to client portfolios to buy a little more of assets that we felt were more cheaper at that moment in time. But obviously, over time, you also have to adapt your strategic compass. So the last time we updated the SCA for our client base, interest rates were close to zero. Very different times. Very different times to, to now. We anticipated that inflation risk would, would be slightly higher. So we adapted portfolio slightly. Today, we see markets have priced inflation. We see interest rates, as you mentioned, are definitely higher. So that's a good moment then to review how would we set the strategic compass for our clients. Okay, so JP, you mentioned how important the strategic asset allocation is. What are the core principles around the strategic asset allocation? I'm trying to say it more and more. Process. <laughs> You'll get there in the end. <laughs> you say it very smoothly. 
So uh, what underlies the philosophy in, in our strategic asset allocation, probably describe it as follows. So one of the things that is key in what we try to do is diversification. So diversification essentially means spreading the risk across different vehicles, assets. Uh, by that, you reduce some of the noise of volatility you get experience over time. Another point I would probably flag is humility. So what we try to do is combine different assets and build portfolios that should withstand many different possible future outcomes. So instead of relying on a conviction that something will happen and tailor a portfolio to that conviction, we actually say, well, a lot of potential futures could happen. What would be the best combination of assets uh, to build portfolios? And the third point I would probably say, and that might surprise some people, is that look beyond volatility as a risk of measure. So we see the whole industry is quite focused on volatility, while we actually think there are more nuances to volatility. So one of the examples I often point clients to is, for example, drawdowns or our behavior utility, which is a kind of jargon for those drawdowns. So how do we experience pullback in asset prices instead of the week to week or month to month volatility? And the last one I'll probably highlight is, is being process focused. If you do an SEA, you don't want to be captured in emotions. You don't want to be captured in, in a very prevailing narrative. So what we do is we build an investment process that we respect and trust and rely on how we model and design it. See, you mentioned looking beyond volatility as a measure for risk. So this is something that our behavioral finance experts, so Rob and I, have been reminding us about for a while now. To zoom out and focus on the total portfolio over longer periods of time. So maybe, Maya, you could share your views here. Yeah, definitely. And, and hi, everyone. So this zooming point out is really, really key. So we encourage investors to align how they judge investments with the time horizon. So with investing, you're doing it for the long term, at least five years, but often longer. It's so crucial, therefore, to try and prevent the influence that short-term moves and volatility can have on your emotions and subsequent views and decisions around your investments. In an ideal world, we wouldn't get phased by the short term, but as we know, in reality, it's easy to get derailed by short-term moves, especially when things are looking negative. So Sarah, I'm sure you've heard of the loss aversion. Exactly. So but for anyone who hasn't, it's where, it. yeah, it's where losses loom larger than gains, which essentially means that any pain from a loss feels so much worse than any pleasure or comfort from an equivalent gain. So with this loss aversion in mind, if someone's experiencing this loss aversion, and many of us do, it therefore leads to us being influenced by volatility and feelings of instability. And also during times of uncertainty, humans don't typically like the uncertain. We go into survival mode. We can only really focus on the here and now. And it's something that we talk about as myopia. It's difficult to focus on or consider the longer term in these situations. So with all of this in mind, it's why the team, as JP mentioned, go beyond just volatility as a risk measure. And the work we do leads to a more behaviorally accurate measure of risk. That sounds straightforward, but we recognize that long-term investing can still be really difficult. Can you explain a bit more? Yeah, definitely. So in reality, it, it can be a challenge. And there's several things at play which influence our investing journey. So biases, tendencies, external influences, our emotions, they all show up and play a, a big role in our own investing journeys. Within the team, Rob and I speak a lot about behavioral tendencies or biases. And I've touched on the loss aversion, but there's another one which commonly arises, which is the action bias. And this is something I've spoken about previously, but this is where you want to do something when there's uncertainty, even though it might not be the best thing to do. It might be better just to do nothing, but actually sometimes during times of uncertainty, we want to feel like we're in control and therefore we might take action just for the sake of taking action. 
Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I wonder if I got this example from you, but is this the kind of the situation where I've been driving, I'm faced with possible traffic ahead and I really want to take another route? Is it is that the yeah, is that a good example to you? Yeah, say? absolutely. And we have shared this previously and it's one <laughs> I was that, listening, yeah. yeah, it's one Rob and I speak about quite a bit. But yeah, so for example, if you've got traffic ahead, there's signs on the motorway about an accident and you want to do something like take a diversion. You're like, I have to do something. I need to ha- feel like I'm in control of this in That's some so way. Me. I love taking a diversion. <laughs> yeah. Um so this is the action bias showing up. But If we think about it and take a step back, and I'm going to use this as a bit of an analogy here, the traffic and the cause of it is unlikely new information. And if we think about Google Maps and other kind of map-based apps, it means that the traffic might already be, in quotation marks, priced in by other drivers (laughs) and by the apps. So if everyone is using updated navigation systems, so like Google Maps, this is up-to-date and accurate information. So trying to second-guess that isn't necessarily that helpful. It can be used to think about how, how people might be responding during uncertain times with their markets. They might make decisions which aren't necessarily helpful and in response to factors which have already been priced in by the markets. And then just quickly going back to my points earlier around only taking a narrow view during times of uncertainty, using this car analogy, and if we are stuck in traffic, It would be much more effective to be able to zoom out to JP's point earlier, take that bird's eye view and assess the situation more objectively. But obviously we can't really do that while we're driving and not necessarily with investing either. So it's obviously way easier said than done. Okay, thank you. I love that example. It reminds Uh, me of the analogy being in the supermarket and waiting in the queue and then jumping queue. Oh, same same thought. Yeah, well done. Maya, maybe another question for you. Mm. What else might be influencing challenges with long-term investing? Yeah, so another kind of main factor could be the fact that our own kind of financial personalities are all different. So for example, if a client has lower levels of composure or less experience with investing, these pieces might come up and and cause them to fall off course. But on the flip side, for those clients with higher levels of composure, those who are more professional long-term investors, they can follow some of this advice and, and stay the course. But as we mentioned before, it can be difficult and these tendencies can get in the way. So there are some other tendencies which could show up. So one being the confirmation bias. This is where we might hold a view or a belief or a theory and then any subsequent information that we come across we then interpret it in a way that's corresponding and agreeing with this existing belief and this can go into a bit of a downward spiral there's also herding and contagion so if we hear oh my friend's disinvesting or my friend's not investing or this group of people have decided to disinvest as social beings we can be like well I think I should be doing that too. And that can kind of spread through panic and this thing called herding. So definitely that can lead us astray in some way. And we see many who invest by themselves fall into these traps. So this can really harm long-term performance. But time and time again, we know that sticking with it and remaining invested is best in the long term. However, due to all of these natural human tendencies that I've mentioned, there are so many of them out there and they all kind of combine together. We can really start to behave in ways which might feel comforting at the time but as we know, not actually best for our financial outcomes. Reflecting on what we do here at Barclays, this is why we make sure our advisors have the tools and understanding to help clients. They're relationship builders. They spend time getting to know their client, what makes them tick and what also might make them nervous or panic. And similarly, this is also why we work with investment teams to ensure we also consider the impact of our behavior on investment outcomes and put frameworks in place to limit the potential detrimental impact. 
Interesting. Well, and not all that straightforward either. No, so not at we'll all. definitely have to have you on again so we can talk about it some more. JP, maybe moving back to you, the team are currently going through a strategic asset allocation review. Why is this so important? Yeah, that's a good question. So as, as we've spoken about during this podcast as well, it's, it's if you invest for the long run, it's actually the strategic asset allocation is the dominant driver of your portfolio. If you would fast forward five years and look at what explains most in the portfolio is how you have divided up or how the composition of your portfolio looks like. And in practice, that's very often quite tricky because as Maya said, very often we get triggered by emotions, by habits, by tendencies to do something. But actually the strategic asset allocation is quite a boring decision. You invest, you partition your portfolio up and you wait. And very often there is the diversification is the core principle. If you spread your risk, you're hopefully withstand many different future outcomes. And and one of the things I often remind clients of is keep the focus on total portfolio and is the portfolio behaving as you would expect, because there will always be winners and losers within the portfolio. And then we should remind ourselves there are many counterfactuals. We prepared portfolios for many different outcomes. There will be uh, instruments in there that show losses, but the most important is to have a portfolio lens and look at the total outcome. JP, that's a lovely place to end it, I think. So look at it all in the round. Everything's coming together today. Um, so thank you, JP, for joining us. Thank you, Francis. Thank you, Maya. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Look forward to speaking to you all again soon for another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.